Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, Andrea here. I hope you're doing as good as can be. I am the author of Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction, and I have an amazing guest on the show today. Now, I have to tell you, in full disclosure, I've been feeling a little bit burnt out lately, a little bit exhausted, and it took me right back to when I was in the muck of loving someone with an addiction. So I thought, you know what? Let's have a wonderful life coach on the show, and let's just talk it through. Not my problem, like necessarily talking through my burnout, but I really wanted to delve into this idea in this subject matter of burnout and depletion, exhaustion. Um, Sometimes we feel a little cynical, like, you know, people are starting to bug us a little bit more than usual, or we're just like, you know, just feeling that energy depletion and just mentally distancing ourselves from the world. Anyway, I just went off on a burnout tangent. (laughs) So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest, Morgan Beard. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk about this topic because it is live for me too. (laughs) Yay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I am a creative life coach. And the reason I call myself that is because I use a wide and uh, intuition guided toolkit for how I work with people. Um, My background is I was uh, training to be an art therapist when I burnt out. I was in my first job after grad school working towards licensure thinking like, this is what I'm meant to do and it's all going to be perfect. And um, was miserable. I, within months, I got to the point where I was having to try my hardest not to cry at work in front of my clients and just back in this hole of like, am I allowed to curse? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, like, fuck, I am miserable and I'm supposed to be showing up and taking care of these people, um, taking care of this vulnerable population and I can't keep it together. So something is wrong. And it took me longer than I would have liked to um, admit that to myself and actually make a change because I was still operating off the belief that I can't quit. That would mean I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. All these things, even though I was trained as a therapist, trained as someone who can take care of others and be an advocate for wellness. And I wasn't living up to that for myself. So... I, uh, long story short, I moved across the country to Los Angeles just to literally be in the sun and be in a culture that was more, um, about creativity and wellness and holistic balance. I was in New York city before, and that is not a place (laughs) that is about those things that is about grinding and grinding and grinding and climbing the ladder. Um, so then I started my life coaching business, um, with working with sort of, uh, 
some of the same principles as I was taught as an art therapist, which was, you know, how do you, how do you even identify someone's goals? How do you help them move towards those goals? And what are all the different ways you can potentially do that? But now I'm also doing it using much more of myself, my own, um, story, which includes, uh, suicidal depression and anxiety, um, struggling with that on and off since I was a young teenager, um, and then taking the steps I needed to to heal and keep going and evolving as a person. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've done that. I'm still evolving as a person, um, but now I'm much more um, sort of in my zone of genius working with people who are more similar to me. Usually there's someone who uh, has a creative passion and they want to figure out how do they work that into what they're doing on a daily basis? How do they find fulfillment? How do they identify what they really want out of life? Maybe they're burnt out. Maybe they have totally lost sight of what does that even mean to do something that I want with my life? Or, <laughs> or um, maybe it's not even a career shift. Maybe it's a per perspective shift. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's um, you know a, a overall life balance issue. But basically, taking people from a state of burnout and depression to a state of having hope and having purpose and enjoying walking those steps. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing your story. I knew like I would, I wanted to have you on the show, Morgan, because you have so many amazing insights for us, but also you've lived it, right? You, you ex have experienced in your, you know, and I love that you are admitting that you're experiencing it a little bit now as well. And me as oh, yeah. well. And so, so many nuggets here that stand out for me. Like, I, I love that you mentioned that it's steps, it's healing. It's like, you know, and then it's fluid. Like it's going to, you know, even when you are doing wonderful things to help manage it and to help progress yourself forward and things like that, it's like, you know, you might slip back into some, you know, experiences of depression and anxiety and burnout. And, you know, so I love that you bring that up because you, express this common humanity. So first of all, starting there, right? We're, if you're feeling burnt out and you're a listener here and you're feeling depleted and let's face it, when you love someone with an addiction, it's very common to feel complete depletion of energy, just energy depletion, um, mental, you know, dis distance and things like that as well. And frustration, cynicism, all those things come along with it. Right. And just a, like that inability to be effective in your life, which by the mm. way, those are all the one, the symptoms of burnout. Now, burnout is usually, like you said, is related to um, teams and organizations, and that's usually where that term came from. And um, and it's so funny because I'm just reading this book right now, and it's it's amazing that we're talking about this because it's called Beating Burnout at Work, <laughs> and it's all mm -hmm. about you know why teams hold the secret to well being and resilience. And um, and they they really she talked about it, um, Paula Davis, in her book, and she talks about this idea of burnout and how there are are three things that you'll experience when you are in burnout. And that is basically um, that feeling of, you know what, why bother or who cares? You're just mentally exhausted. Um, you know, you feel like there's no sense of accomplishment in your life or in your work. And you just kind of feel like why bother kind of, kind of mentality, that cynicism where, you know, everyone kind of starts to bug you a little bit or just plain exhaustion, right? And I normally hear that when people say, oh my gosh, I'm so burnt out. But then what they do is people 
talk about exhaustion. It's like, here, do yoga, here, do meditation. But there's so many, it's deeper than that, right? Like it's deeper than that. There's so much going on here. So let's start from the beginning. Like, let's think about all what we need to do. First of all, we need to admit that we're feeling this sense of depletion, exhaustion, maybe cynicism, um, maybe feeling, you know, retracting, isolating from the world. I know that's what I do. I like right away just say, you know what? I just want to curl up on a ball and go to bed in my room and just kind of sleep there for a few hours. Or maybe I want to take a vacation on my own. Like, you know, when I hear that you moved across like the country, I was like, hey, that sounds actually quite nice. <laughs> and I remember when I was in the muck of loving someone with an addiction, I was like, wonder if I could just like pack a bag and just go up to like someone's cottage and just like stay there for a week. Like I remember just like wanting to isolate and move, remove myself. So for the listener and for someone who is feeling, and and we both are in this right now, we kind of feel a sense of burnout here. Now it doesn't, it kind of creeps on, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. Like suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling, you know, burned out. It's like, okay, it kind of creeps on and gets worse and worse, so to speak. So what do we do? Let's talk it through. Where do we start, Morgan? Yeah. So I think that one of the most important things um, in the realm of acknowledgement is that we don't ignore the cultural context that we're experiencing this burnout in, because I think this is at the core of it, really, to be honest, even though it's outside of us. But our culture is based on this constant need to grind and produce and be a productive member of the capitalistic structure to be relevant, to feel like we exist at all. If we're not, you know, showing up on social media and posting about all of our victories, it's like, do we even exist? That's kind of the weird, irrational, like, um, un, unspoken, um, dynamic that we're all a part of right now. Like there, I think we, we have, we can have this fantasy of escape and rediscovery and isolation because it's like, it's exhausting to keep up with the demand that is placed on us as just living in this Western capitalist society. And we might not look at that. We might not talk about that. And then we might feel it's all our fault that we're burnt out. It's, it's stuff that we're not doing right. And it's all within our control. And it's not like a, that's a huge foundation of what we're each struggling with on this individual level. And then our culture tends to isolate us even more. And we're in an individualistic society where it is seen as our burden to fix this work on this. And it's our fault if we're not thriving all the time. That you just hit the nail on the head because Paula Davis talks about this in her book as well. And she was basically saying that, you know, we need to not like take it personally. Like it's not necessarily us on an individual level. It's also culture. It's like if if you think of burnout on an organizational level, it's the organization, right? So it's actually the secret is held in the teams. The secret is held. And if we bring it back to an individual level, it's like, okay, well, let's look at these expectations here. Let's look at it from that level. Like I know when you're in, when you're in the muck of loving someone with an addiction, there's so much shame around like the fact that of what you're dealing with, it's like, no, I better like, what do you mean? You can't show up to work and have full energy. Well, I was up all night 
looking for, you know, following my addicted loved one around because I didn't want them to drive or like, you know, things like that. Like, it's like, it's amazing how, like you said, sometimes circumstances and sometimes our culture puts this huge amount of pressure on us um, to show up in a certain way that we suddenly think, oh my gosh, I'm so like, we think it's an individual problem. I love the way you put that. That is so, so incredible and so true. So how do we get around that? Yeah. So like you, like you said about acknowledging it, that's the first step. Like acknowledging it is the first step and knowing that it's something that's kind of on the back burner that we're carrying the weight of our nervous system feels even when we're not consciously aware of it. So the, the translation into an actual step is like, we have to work extra hard, which is not what you want to hear as a burnt out person, but we have to work extra hard to compensate for the drain that's just happening to us regardless of our individual actions. Um, meaning that we have to really override our instincts to beat ourselves up. We have to supply ourselves with a constant stream of self-compassion, trying to focus on um, what is positive, what we do have. Um, not, I have a bit of a resistance to just kind of like blindly going at like, well, what are you grateful for? And forget the rest, you know, cause that that's hard. That's not, to me, that doesn't feel real. Um, there's a lack of like authenticity there. However, the way that our brains work when we do, um, sort of meditate on what we're grateful for, it does shift the, um, the place in our brains that we're spending time away from, you know, this, this negative draining kind of place to, okay, what's, what's going well, what's going right. And it, I'm not an expert on this clearly, but <laughs> same, similarly to when we move from a state of fear to a state of love or playfulness, it's like those two opposites can't really coexist. So sometimes we have to, um, even though our, our psyche might want us to keep kind of going back to what's bad, what's bad, what's bad, we have to find a way to like manually shift <laughs> into a place of like, okay, what's good or where, what, what space in my life do I feel love? Do I feel kindness? Do I feel compassion? And tapping into that energy and then kind of applying that filter or that lens to ourselves. Oh my God. Okay. So many nuggets of brilliance there. First of all, I, I absolutely appreciate the fact that you bring up this idea of toxic positivity. It's the toxic positivity is simply like exactly that when someone's like, when we say to ourselves, you know, I'll be okay, or let's just look at the bright side and we'll be better. Um, I hate that shit. <laughs> I really hate that shit. That's right. So, and, and that is the flack that, and as you may or may not know, like I am, you know, I have a lot of training in the world of positive psychology. And that is one of the criticisms that the world of positive psychology, which is the science of human flourishing kind of gets. However, um, that's the idea of toxic positivity. It's not saying, you know what, let's pretend bad things don't happen. Let's, you know, grin and bear it and find all the good things and the happy things in our life to get through this burnout, to get through this depression, to move all what we want to do. And I love that you brought that up because it's not pretending, you know, that you're okay. When you 
you're not okay. And I always say, give yourself permission to not be okay. And, and I love that you bring that up. So it's like self-awareness, acknowledge that, you know, where things aren't going so great in your life. And then yes, there is a degree of where we can shift. So we're not sitting in worry and ruminating on it. And we're not sitting in the muck of it. And, but at the same time, we're also taking times, not all the time to just go there and say, Oh, I'm grateful for this, this, and this. And there is science that confirms that when we do practice gratitude and we do practice, you know, um, self-compassion around, you know, emotions that may not feel as good, that it's powerful. So we're not saying that, you know, just like, you know, see all the, the silver lining in that dark cloud. It's like, you know what, that could actually have a reverse effect. <laughs> and actually I should highlight that yeah. toxic positivity on the podcast because it, it's so good. So I love the other part that you brought up is preventing burnout requires a shift from symptoms, not just focusing on the symptom of exhaustion and like, you know, is also looking at a cause also approach. So it's almost like looking at what is causing this and looking at it like, you know, are there expectations that I have of myself or is there a cultural dynamic to this burnout or you know am I in um a relationship where I love someone with an addiction kind of you know cause so and then I love that you bring in that piece of self-compassion it's like no wonder you are burnt out no wonder you have um, you know, it, you are experiencing depression. No wonder you have anxiety. Like it makes sense and, and it's hard and, and kind of giving yourself that, you know, understand that common humanity and that kindness. And that first piece is that mindfulness or self-awareness of what's going on. So many good nuggets there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could, we could stay on the part one forever and keep talking about um, everything that you just mentioned, but I, I also want to kind of um, get into like, okay, yeah. So we acknowledge it. Here we are. We're all exhausted. What the fuck do we do about it now? <laughs> yes, and, please. Yes. <laughs> Instead think, of just writing gratitude yeah. letters in our journal, we need more than that, more nuggets. <laughs> um, but yeah, so once you've like really fully given yourself permission in any given moment to just be like, yes, this is my reality. Now what? Um, the the next step has a an invisible step before it um the next step being okay change something you know if your career is draining you think about okay is there a way that i can shift my role is there a way that i can set better boundaries so that i my energy output matches you know my energy input um or you know can you can you do that within a relationship can you you know all all those those um, tangible, practical movements that you can try to shift around and see if that helps the overall equation balance out. But that's always easier said than done. Um, and the invisible precursor step is we have to feel worthy of doing that. We have to let go of the idea that, well, like you said, that, that hopelessness mindset kind of makes us sometimes feel like whatever, it doesn't matter, nothing's going to change, uh, or I don't deserve it anyway, or I have no faith that anything I'm going to do is going to make a difference. So then, then we don't even try those strategies that are the next step. Um, so 
and I think that the internal stuff is is more important, more valuable, and really more essential to the lifelong pursuit of taking back your power. Um, and what that really means is like reclaiming yourself, reclaiming your right to joy, your right to pleasure from all these conflicting voices that get kind of absorbed into our internal monologue, whether they come from, um, you know, an abusive relationship, uh, parents, whatever. Um, we tend to, and I'll speak for myself, I have criticisms that I got from people years and years and years ago that are just lodged into my brain that are poked and come up every time I try to articulate something to the contrary. So it's a really meaty process, actually cracking yourself open, exposing those things and looking at them from, you're looking at them as the person who is wounded by them and dealing with them in the moment. But the more that you can also look at them from that more mindful, more compassionate, slightly removed vantage point, the more that you can actually start to kind of tease them out and over time choose to let go of them and choose to um, believe something else. And that's that's where taking back your power comes in. It's, it's not like you're never going to hear those voices again. It's the choice to, or at least the willingness to believe that something else is possible as the truth. Oh my gosh. So I love that you put a little step before that step because yeah, it's like, okay, you don't, you know, you, you, you've acknowledged now you're experiencing some burnout, you know, maybe you have depression or anxiety, or you're just exhausted wherever you are, you have all the symptoms, you know, that you, you know, you, you, you see it clearly. And then you say, okay, well, let's change something. And it reminds me of the self-help industry, right? It's like, okay, change something, right? If that's not working, change something. Well, it's not that easy. And then putting that invisible step in there of kind of cracking things open. And, and I love the way you put it, reclaiming your right, your right to hope, your right to joy, your right to playfulness and, and love. And, and you have that right. And it's almost like, oh, I have the right to this. It's almost writing that down. It's like, I have the right to feel happiness in my life. I have have the right to have autonomy where I, the things that I do have influence on my world. Um, I have that right. And, and, and so you're right. And, and I always say like, do that sparingly, like, cause sometimes if you open that up, it's like, you're drinking from a fire hose. It's right. Okay. So you know what, let's go back into some of those, you know, inner critic or those things that, you know, have been lodged into our brains and um, that, that quite make us question our worthiness slow and steady progression. Is there anything else that you recommend to help kind of go into that invisible step? Yeah. So I was writing this down as you were talking and I was like, ah, shoot, I really want to also say this. For me, it also took another layer because when we dive into these things, like our inner critic, our super ego is going to hurl 9,000 other reasons we shouldn't do it at us. And you might be like pulling the thread of one and you get hit by like three more things. And then you return to that place of, well, this is impossible. I'm overwhelmed. Um, and even for me, even hearing you say, yes, remember that we have the right, something that I just said, <laughs> remember that we have the right to happiness and joy and all of that stuff. 
And it reminded me that it took me a while to actually even feel that way or agree to my entitlement to these basic things because I saw and, you know, my, my inner criticisms are the product of people that felt overly entitled, that felt that they had the right to hurt me or take their anger out on me or deprive me of pleasure or joy uh, in favor of their own. So that sense of I'm entitled to this was, was so demonized because of how I saw it played out by the other people in my life that were hurting me and wreaking havoc. Like that made it that much harder for me to acknowledge my entitlement or my right to these basic things because of that unconscious fear that someone who feels entitled acts this way or, you know, becomes a total terror because they let their anger take over or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like every little thread has like 18 micro threads that yes. you have to then keep pulling and keep acknowledging and keep being willing to, um, try on a different relationship with them. Yeah. I love that. It reminds me of, you know, write your own story. And like, it's almost like rewriting your story where you're the hero. <laughs> I remember I used to have to rewrite my story. It's like, I'm amazing. Like, look at what I am dealing with. Like yeah. there are a lot of people that love someone with an addiction and they are doing so well. So I would practice the mm -hmm. common humanity and that they're, you know, they're doing the best they can because this is hard. And, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, so, you know, you just like kind of write your own story. So you change your grievance story a little bit, but going in there and being like, you know what? It makes sense that this is hard practicing that self-compassion. It's like, I feel angry right now. And it makes sense that I feel angry. I'm depleted and exhausted because I am putting out so much. And I know that this doesn't align with my values and then kind of tapping into your values. Well, what do I value? I value a peaceful environment. I value safety, feeling like I'm safe in a relationship and I can trust them. Um, and all those things were just getting thrown out the window. So it like, is like, makes sense that, you know, what, uh, this doesn't align with my values and this isn't right. And I always, I love that we brought up that rights piece because it's like, yeah, it's like that is, this isn't fair. And this is really hard on me. It's like, okay. So then it's like a matter of like, I am going to reclaim. That's what this whole podcast and book and podcast, everything's about is about taking back your power, reclaiming that. And that one of the major steps to that is to recognize that recognition. Like you said, that you have the right to have joy in your life. You have the right to experience positive emotions, such as joy and happiness and play and, you know, and, um, and just claim reclaiming it back. It's like, it, it's amazing how one day you get so knocked down. It's like you hit your own rock bottom and you're so depleted. And so I'm like, I can't keep going. I remember saying to myself, I cannot keep going like this. Like, no, mm -hmm. no. And no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so hard sometimes to really take our nose seriously, especially, again, if we grew up in a climate where our nose didn't mean anything to our caregiver. Um, and, you know, I, I would wager that a lot of, uh, a lot of us who are struggling in a, re in a relationship with an addict, this is not their first relationship with an addict, you, you know, whether it be a family member or a previous romantic partner. So it's like, you're not just in that relationship with the person you're with now, it's pinging all those past patterns. And 
if if a part of that pattern is not taking ourselves seriously, not validating our own wants and needs, ignoring those moments where we say, no, enough is enough, and and not acting that or not giving that kind of like the weight that it deserves, who who's going to stop the train if not us? I love that. Yes. And you bring up such an important piece is this validation of our own needs and, and, and also for future relationships, right? Or even, you know, a lot of people, the listeners, a lot of individuals listening um, have relationships with children and that's the addicted loved one in their life. So it's so important to zoom out the lens and step back and get quiet. And this is this invisible, we're really in this invisible step for a long time here. <laughs> It's the most it. important one. It's the most important <laughs> one. So acknowledgement, right? Reclaiming your rights. But how do you do that? Know your worthiness, know your rights. And I love the way you put it and validate your own needs. And I have this little thing. It's a morning ritual that I have. It's I always ask myself, what am I feeling? What am I needing? What am I wanting? And I wait for the answers. I don't go through them that fast. I sit with it. It's like, and then it's amazing how you get the answers. Sometimes we become so detached from our needs. And the other thing is like, if you kind of recognize your values, so go Google a list of values and kind of come up with a top 10 values that you know you value and narrow it down and let those top maybe three values be your motivation to really help you to pick yourself up, to tap in into, you know, reclaiming your rights to tap into reclaiming, um, what it is that you're needing. It makes sense that you're needing that it makes sense. And then how can you get your needs met? Um, there's okay. a fabulous website, lifevaluesinventory.org. And it's this like pretty involved, but, but easy to understand, like, quiz and profile that it sets up for you that that kind of asks you in all these different ways to rank different life values and kind of nice. prioritizing them. And then they do this really great write-up at the end that's that talks all about like the things that I took away from it where, you know, stress comes about when two things that we value conflict and we have to make a choice between them and we have to, you know, navigate the fact that we care about multiple things. We care about loving this person and having this relationship and we care about, well, how am I doing in relationship to that? Um, and there's an inherent conflict there because we don't live in a vacuum where the, everything's just copacetic. So, um, again, acknowledging that, that, that stress of caring is real. Like if we didn't care, we wouldn't be stressed. So, and do, we don't, none of us want to live a life where we don't care about anything. That's exactly the, the burnout issue that we're trying to avoid. Like we want to care. We want to engage in a real way with our emotions, with our humanity. But what that means is the, the struggle is real. Yes. The struggle is real. I say that all the time. Um, and which brings us really nicely into this other step in this idea of stress. And, um, it's amazing in, in, in psychology it's called cognitive dissonance. It's where it's like, we value this, but this is what's going on in our life. And so then it causes this huge amounts of stress and cortisol, corticosteroids, epinephrine, all these hormones that put us into that stress response where we get the part of our logical part of our brain sometimes shuts down. We move into the stress response. And as we know, there's a whole downward spiral of like health implications when we are chronically activating that stress response. So take a deep breath, inhale. Oh my gosh. So, and what 
basically burnout and stress are, they're almost the same thing. Burnout more referred to the workplace and the um, right stress, 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 chronic activation of stress leads to the sim- similar symptoms of burnout, which is exhaustion, cynicism, and just, you know, mental depletion. Yeah. And I like, this kind of goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning about the systems that we all exist in, which exploit the constant stress response. And, and we, we get very accustomed to using stress as a motivator, as a way to be productive at a, cause I mean, the, the, the stress system does help us when used properly, where it is activated and then not activated, um, you know, it helps us perform at our best. It helps us be alert. And that's what those hormones do. But when it's happening all the time and we don't really have proper, um, time spent in a resting state where those things aren't activated, we're just constantly depleting those body systems. And then it, it, it takes on an addictive quality. Like we, you know, it's sort of like becoming addicted to caffeine. It's like, okay, it's this little performance enhancement that, you know, it it makes us more alert uh, in isolated incidences. And we, we, we take advantage of that. But then if we're constantly kind of strung out on stress or caffeine, it loses its effectiveness and our body is just fried from it. And then we don't even, that's another sort of hidden reason that it's so hard to overcome burnout because we don't know anything else. Like, Everything around us is telling us to continue to exploit these systems. And it's much harder to actually slow down for enough time to recollect ourselves. Because we we also, as soon as we slow down and it's like, all right, everybody knows you should meditate. And that's sort of the antidote to a lot of these issues of anxiety and, and depression and all this stuff. But the second we try to get quiet, everything is on full volume that we want to avoid. And it's like, that's exactly what it's, what's supposed to happen. Like meditation shows us how intense we're operating in these, um, you know, kind of like this, this energy state, but then it's very uncomfortable to just quietly sit in that and watch our brains do what they're doing all the time. It's hideously uncomfortable. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So many good things coming up here. And you did bring up, and it is called you stress in psychology where it's um, positive stress. So it's like, it helps to motivate us. It helps us get work done. Like, and there is a reason for stress, right? And then also we want to understand that a lot of, you know, when you love someone with your, with an addiction, you're in the muck of it. Like we are under constant stress in many, uh, many situations in time because we're worried, but think about it. Those emotions, we're worried, we're angry. All those feelings that we're feeling are there to keep us safe. And they're there for a reason. So we're, it's not that we want to ignore it. It's like, how do I, how do I get rid of the, you know, all the symptoms of stress? And how do I get rid of this stress when it's like around me constantly? So I love this idea that you thought we need to, recognize that we're depleted and then also reclaim ourselves, like almost recollect ourselves up. And, and I love that. And that's, and you brought up something, you said it earlier and I wrote it down because it was so good energy input output. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. let's Mm -hmm. look at that because I think that's a wonderful way. Like let's talk about managing our energy, right. And addressing maybe our sources of stress 
And then building stress awareness can really help us, right? So we can notice where we're losing energy as well as where can we fill ourselves up? So we can fill ourselves up obviously with meditation and yoga and all those things. But if we're constantly got this drain of energy and we feel so depleted, it's like, how else can we fill ourselves up? So I would love to jump into that so we can thrive and and be resilient and tap into our needs. Yes. Yeah. So for everyone listening right now and me and you, (laughs) let's just take a second and think about one thing that is just leaking our energy and power that it, that might be small, like one self-belief that we kind of are hooked into, uh, you know, let's, let, we're not going to tackle the biggest thing. Cause I'm, I'm going to say like, let's write that thing down and let's see if we can just plug up that one hole of energy leakage. So pick something realistic, <laughs> like think about maybe even like, what have you done so far today? Just kind of reviewing like, all right, I woke up, I made breakfast, I did this, I did that. It's early when we're recording this. So that's all I've done today is wake up and eat breakfast and do this podcast. Um, But so if I review those activities and I think, okay, where is like one tiny micro instance where maybe I um, moved a little too quickly or overthought something small and silly and just practice the next time you approach that activity or in the next several steps you take or moments that you inhabit, what if you can just, like you have a big volume dial on the extent to which you put energy out over this thing. So let's say for me, I'm going to pick this right now. I feel as I'm talking about this stuff, I'm talking about burnout, I'm talking about energy depletion, but my energy is so high as I'm doing that. Like I'm putting it, I'm I'm so passionate about this topic that I'm, I feel like I'm, sort of screaming about it. Like my energy about it is so intense. So if I'm, let's say, talking to you right now at a level 90, can I take it back to 75? Can I just slow my words down a little bit? Really like feel the air and the space between us um, and drop down from, from my, where I think I'm experiencing life, which is like behind my eyes and my brain, maybe in my third eye, and just drop down to my heart and think in a more embodied way about what I'm putting out there, the, the quality of the words that I'm saying, like, are they agitated? Are they uh, super keyed up? Um, and just try to dial that energy output back a little bit. So for you, maybe it's the same thing. But um, think of some, some sort of example like that in your life that's small and make a commitment to just dial the energy output back a little bit because a lot of times it's getting rid of our burnout isn't as simple as like, well, I'll just quit that job or I'll just leave that <laughs> relationship or I'll just what, like sometimes you can't. Yes. So you have to start to try to believe that these small shifts are worth experimenting with. Um, and you're going to encounter, like for, for me, for this example in particular, one of the reasons it's very hard for me to dial back my energy and how I talk to people is because I have this sense that maybe they're not going to 
listen if I don't talk fast. Like they're just going to walk away. It's like rooted in an abandonment fear. So it's like, I've got to keep my energy level up. I've got to keep the uh, intensity or the uh, content of what I'm saying at a certain level of interest in order to keep the person in front of me in front of me. And that's one of those weird little psychic hooks that keeps me expending way more energy than what's necessary. So that's one example, but I think it's a pretty powerful one. It's a good example. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so good. Just turning the dial back. And what's great about it too, is it has that compound effect too. Like the more we do it, the more it's like every little energy drain that, you know, we're letting our energy go. We're getting more and more depleted. It's like a leak, right? It's like the more it leaks out, the emptier it gets, like in a cup. So his idea is it's like, it's slowly slowing that leak will slowly start, you know, increasing the amount of water that stays in you for thinking about a cup. So I love that dialing it back, building up. And what comes to mind to me too, is like, I used to take my day and, and, and notice the people that kind of sucked the life out of me, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And I would reverse my day, like as if I'm walking backwards in fast motion, I would mentally reverse my whole day and, (laughs) and suck all my energy, my prana, my life force, my chi back into my body and almost reclaim it visually. Like I would visually rerun my whole day and pull my energy back or anytime that I felt like the energy is being sucked out. It sounds like such a simple thing, but that's kind of the dial back thing or pulling back, you know, your energy that you've put out in the day. And, you know, because... I put my whole heart into a lot of things. It's like, okay, well, let, let me restore some of my energy. Or the other thing is I remember telling my daughter, it's like, okay, when you feel that stress or when you feel like someone's, you know, cause she used to come home from school and just feel drained. And I said, okay, so when you feel that, just pretend you're like the Batmobile where you push the button, the whole thing gets, you know, covered <laughs> and all your energy yes. stays inside that Batmobile, like protect yourself, you know, like, and these sound like, you know, sort of crazy things, but it really is amazing how that visual allows you to restore your own energy and, and help you. So you don't have those, as many of those leaks. Um, now we're talking really meta here. So I'm wondering if there's a little bit more, um, tangible ways. Like I know for me, sometimes I'll say, Oh my gosh, I'm not getting so I'm not getting any sleep. I'm so tired. And I keep saying that I hear myself keep saying that it's like, I I don't know what it is. I think it's hormonal. I'm not getting sleep. Mm. So then I'm like, delete, delete, cancel, cancel, cancel. It's like, okay, even though I'm not getting full night's sleep, I still love and accept myself wholly. And I kind of use like that, that just like, okay, like acceptance. It's like, it's okay. And like, let's, I'll take more naps during the day. Or I think maybe like walking through some of the thought patterns that we say over and over again, that might be a drain. They might be draining our energy as well. I think that's one for me. (laughs) Yeah. I, and I love the visualization because not only does it give us time to kind of pause and really consider um, what is a possible tangible reality and, and build that out so we have a clear idea that we can then base our future action on, but it's really sticky. I use a lot of visualization with my clients and the imagery that people come up with is so, it's, it's, it's our subconscious speaking right to us. And then we can use that 
as a way to kind of remember how do I want to feel? How do I want to behave? And, you know, I mean, high performing athletes use visualization, you know, they'll, they'll visualize themselves making the play, doing it a certain way over and over and over again. So that when the experience actually comes up, it's already like burned into their brain and into their, their body or their inner conception of their body because they've seen it. I mean, they've done it, of course, but they've also seen it. And that is training it into our brains is, is really like not to be fucked with as a <laughs> like powerful technique. So um, powerful. It is. And so one other thing I would add to that, that kind of just came to me while you were saying you put yourself wholeheartedly into everything. And like we were talking about before, it's like, it's okay to care that much. You know, we, we, sometimes we can't help it. We love someone or we're really passionate about a goal that we want to make. And so it's like, we don't want to live these lives that are devoid of that. Um, but one way to remind ourselves of our own energy in a really concrete way is just sit and feel our own heartbeat. You can feel it from the inside or you can, you know, put a hand on the outside of your chest and just listen to it and just feel the fact that this vital organ in our body is working all the time to keep blood moving through our body, to keep us alive, to keep us going. And thinking about this really precious system that we have inside of us, how can we honor the, all the work that that system does by taking the best care of it we can, by being uh, conservative in how we dole out the energy that our hearts keep pulsing through our body? Um, and sort of being, being a bit of a minimalist about it. Like, what do I really need to expend my organs precious energy on um, and connecting with that sense too that each of us has this um, really incredible amazing highly evolved system inside of us that keeps us going and how can we respect that through our actions Oh my gosh. I, I love so many things you said. They're so insightful. And I love this idea minimalist, right? And which also brings me to the whole reason we feel sometimes stressed is because our re we feel like perceived that we don't have the resources to deal with what is presented to us. And, and what was coming up as you were talking is this idea of, um, tapping into our resources and, and, and treating our body like a temple and like choosing healthy whole foods and like, and, and, and honoring when our body is needing rest and being okay with that or honoring when we need recharging and, and things like that, like it is like, that's a huge piece of it, right. To counteract burnout and stress. Yeah. Tapping yeah. into those resources. And when we get in close contact with ourselves from this super compassionate state of mind, the more that, the more that we touch in on that, the more that that becomes our vision of ourselves, slightly easier, little by little, those decisions to take care of ourselves, those decisions to assert boundaries on our own behalf, those decisions of how we eat and what we put in our body, 
it just starts to shift in a way that's almost intangible, but it's, it's those changes that we're making to the root of how we think about ourselves. And that's why, like for me as a coach, yes, I want to advocate if someone's goal is to be healthier, it's like, okay, go exercise. You know, that their goal is to exercise once a week. Okay, great. Go do it. Fabulous. But I think it's more important to creating sustainable changes when you deal with the root issue of someone's relationship with themselves, because then they naturally and more easily will make those decisions that they already said that they want to make rather than being like, Ugh, I have to exercise once a week because my goal is to exercise once a week. Like some people, they really love and they really thrive on the outside in approach. But for me in my life, the sustainable change that I've been able to accrue has come from the inside out. I love that a sustainable change. And, um, it, you know, it's so interesting because, um, I love that we're talking about this idea and it almost makes me want to do this list. Like, okay, here are all the things that are draining my energy. Yeah. Here are all the things that are adding to my energy. And it's almost like, I, I want to make like a chart where it's like, okay. And it's almost like decrease the, um, the things that are, you know, negative that I have control over on that mm-hmm. side. Um, maybe I'm going to stop saying that, you know, I'm so tired or maybe I'm going to stop, you know, like just kind of things like that, or maybe, um, I'm not going to hang out with that certain friend or, you know, maybe I'm not going to, and, and that's where the positive emotions come in too. Like it maybe, maybe we go into worry or ruminations. We're really evoking kind of, um, negative emotions, which are energy drains too. So, it, so that's why moving maybe what as energy is gratitude journaling, which is, we talked about, right. But it's not just happyology pretending bad things don't happen, but it has been scientifically shown visualization of you at your best is a wonderful tool, right? To add energy and connect you to your goals and connecting to your values right on that positive list. Here's what I value. And here's what I want to integrate more into my life. And, um, so I guess that brings me to this next piece of design, like, you know, how to create positive change in our life. Yeah. So, uh, let's take the, I'm so tired example. Um, (laughs) we can use, um, affirmations, things that we want to be true to rewrite those things. So, so let's say you, you're noticing, you're looking at your body, you're getting in touch with your body in a way that lets you know, oh my God, I feel tired. Okay, great. You have that moment of awareness. You have that moment of acknowledgement. Fabulous. But you don't want to live in a world where your sense of yourself is I'm so tired to the extent where I can't do all the things that I need to get done. And then you start to feel overwhelmed and you start to feel like really off kilter and like, oh my God, like then I can't wait until the next time I get into bed. And those, that all might be true. But what if instead you tried on the statement, I have enough energy to do what's important. So then it becomes less about what you don't have, which is I'm so tired, meaning like all I want to do is sleep. I don't have energy for anything to, okay, I have what I need. And then what that might translate into is I have to decide what isn't important. Like I'm, there are things I'm going to be too tired for. So that statement has this dual kind of 
thing to it where it's like it forces you to get serious about what do you actually need to get done, like applying that minimalist kind of lens, but also telling yourself you have enough. And that if you really let yourself kind of feel into the energy of I have the energy I need, or you could even go a step further and say I'm full of energy because whether you subjectively feel tired or not, you're still, you're awake, you're alive, and you can feel your heartbeat. So you can feel a sense that, okay, there is energy coursing through my veins inside of me. And then what do I want to put that towards? Mm, I love it. But also honoring the fact that sometimes we are getting a message. It's like, so I have, so instead of like, you know, sometimes I used to never take naps. It's like, okay. So now it's like, I, I'm so tired. I remember my, I remember telling my friend, I go, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I've been up all night. I'm worried, blah, blah, blah. She's like, Andrea, you need a rest. Like take a nap. <laughs> like, you know, who are you? Superwoman? Who do you think you are? Superwoman? So there's that piece, but I love how you repositioned it too, when it's like, and then for me lately, though, it's just been a running dialogue where it's like, I, I you know, I'm tired. How are you doing? Oh, I'm tired. Cause I was not getting, you know, full sleep, but I have yeah. enough energy to do what's important. I love it. It shifts it totally in a, in a wonderful feeling way. Yeah. And that message of I'm so tired, it might mean, okay, I need to sleep more or I need to get more restful sleep. Like I need to start winding down earlier. Maybe you take a little bit of melatonin or something like there. Once you, once you kind of drill down beneath the superficial way that that statement or that assessment is coming out, then you get clear on like, okay, when I'm saying I'm so tired, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to do less? Does it mean I need to get more out of my sleep? Does it need any, do I need more hours of sleep? Do I need better sleep? Do I need to put my phone on airplane mode? You know, all those little things. And then once you're clear on like, what is that statement that keeps coming up over and over actually mean, then you can start implementing things. Ooh, I love that. Yes, which I have. Thank you so much for that. But I know the listeners, there's a lot of people probably going through something very similar. So so I love this idea of creating positive change. And I love the idea of like, what does that mean? It's like really getting into and getting honest. And um, so I'm curious, like, you know, has shifting burnout, like through, and you have these amazing questions that you add, it reminds me of appreciative inquiry, like how it's like, you know, considering like, how do I want to feel or when do mm-hmm. I feel? feel energized or what is energizing me? What is draining me? Right. And what's happening. It's almost like getting really curious and asking those questions really, I think is like you said, the first step to shifting burnout. Yeah. And, and just like you said, uh, a little bit ago, like letting those answers bubble up from your body rather than forcing a script that you think just to get done with the activity because <laughs> we're spending so much time in our heads, like the sort of top down approach of like, I think I need this. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, instead getting practicing, getting our minds quiet. So our body, so our subconscious, so, so our more kind of tapped in parts of ourselves can tell us the answers. We, one of the things that I'm like the biggest advocate for as a coach is like, you have all the answers that you ever are going to need inside of you. It's I'm teaching you this process for accessing them. I'm, I'm giving you the tools and the space and sort of the permission to drill down below 
your mind that wants to rush to the answer um, or is afraid of what the answer might actually be (laughs) and combination of those things um, so that we can restore the connection with our inner pilot. Oh, I love that. It's almost like getting honest with yourself and, and zooming out the lens. And sometimes I do agree, you need a coach to help you through those. And, um, and I always use the expression, you can't read the label when you're inside the jar. So it's kind of like <laughs> stepping away. It's like, okay, that's what's going on here. And, yeah. and I love that. Just asking powerful questions, like, where are you right now? And where do you want to be? Right. And what's getting in the way of that, that you have control over. And that's really a wonderful way to shift, shift from, you know, burnout and, and really to a place that we want to be in and how we want to show up. So powerful. So I'm wondering, is there anything else that, you know, that's coming up for you that you want to share? Um, yeah, I think what you just said about sort of why, why, why do we, why would we need a coach for this? If all the, if all of the answers are in me, why do I need someone else? Um, and this is sort of a, a weird question because on the one hand, it's like, I do advocate for you have all the answers and maybe you don't need me. Great. However, um, a lot of the reasons that we're struggling, like we talked about at the very beginning of the show is because we have this false notion that we have to do it all by ourselves. And so if you ask yourself, honestly, is this working the way that I'm doing it without support um, or with only the existing support that I have? You know, what might be getting in the way of acknowledging that you could use more support, and this is a huge obstacle for me, so I feel this deeply, like there's an implicit feeling of I'm a failure if I ask for help or I acknowledge that I need help or I... uh, put my hard-earned money towards helping myself. Um, However, a lot of the root, as we also discussed, of these issues came up in the context of a relationship with someone else. Like, so healing within the container of a different type of relationship is really powerful. Like, I think, you know, self-help books are great. I read them. I love them. But... (laughs) If, if that was all you needed, we'd all be healed. And I think that where some of the most powerful healing takes place is with someone else who can show you your worth by being there with you, like in an implicit way. Um, we can tell ourselves all day long sometimes, I'm worthy of this, I'm worthy of that. But I've experienced this myself. As soon as I actually put my money where my mouth is and hire someone to help me, it unhooks something for me. Like I dislodge that part of my ego that's like, it's fine. You don't actually need it and continually kind of talks me out of getting help. It's like when you drill down below, it's like, why do I think I should have to do this myself? And why do I think I should have to walk this much harder path Yeah, so true. And I love that you bring this up because 
Um, yes. When you're in the muck of loving someone with an addiction, you know, you, you put on your brave face and, you know, you go through a lot of that. And I love that you bring that up, that there are sometimes there, you do need to ask for help. You do need to align yourself with other people that have gone through something similar. Um, and, and that's why I have that whole SYKM community and things like that too, to really support people. Cause you don't want to feel like you're doing this alone. Um, whether you reach out to a coach or a therapist or a psychologist or like whatever, it is or a friend or someone you you just met in a support group that shares a common yeah. struggle um yeah. so important um so when you are feeling you know at your wits end you know exhausted depleted burnt out um yes one of the best things that you can do is reach out and ask for help and be okay with that and there's no shame in it and uh, recognize that you might need some help and that's very yeah. very good that you brought that up the other thing that um, I always love doing with my clients and also that I do with myself is like remembering your strengths. So it's like, sometimes we get, when we're down, we, we really don't recognize all those strengths that we have, all those capabilities. And, and, and so I always love to think about, okay, so what, how, what setback have I gone through before? And how did I navigate that setback? What strengths did I bring to the table or draw on? And how can I use them now? And I find that that really helps me and it builds me up. It gives me the energy I need to deal with the challenge at hand or the struggle or the setback at hand. And that that really helps me and I know that it's been, it's been shown to, you know, tap in and in psychology, positive psychology, we're all about, you know, strength finding, like spot your strengths and then utilize them because you have them in you. <laughs> and it's just that yeah. sometimes we forget about them. Like, you know what, actually, yeah, I'm really good at this or, you know, um, so it's really important to remember what your strengths are. Yeah. Yeah. And to like, let yourself acknowledge things that those inner critic voices might want to be like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. That's not actually important. Or you're not actually good enough at that to claim that. Um, it's, it's a really insidious voice that just wants to kind of take everything away and not let you start amounting that foundation. Um, and you can always also get stuck in the like, well, I have this strength, but that doesn't really matter because the strength I really want so-and-so has, and I don't have, and you slip back into the, the comparison syndrome and the negativity bias. And it's like, no, like let's at the very least try to see ourselves neutrally, if not from a position of like trying to build ourselves up. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And, and almost like that inner critic is comes up, right? It's that inner voice, but then also have an inner nurturer, like let that voice start talking and turn up the volume on the inner nurturer to support you in a wonderfully nurturing way too. Yeah. And understand that yeah. this, this can be hard. Oh my gosh, there's so many amazing things. So moving ourselves and energizing. I love that we're shifting and building our energy and looking at ways that we're losing it Not and, and also not feeling like it's a character flaw to feel like we're burnt out and oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm a loser. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, it's, that's not the case. It's like you're, the situation, the circumstance that you find yourself in can contribute largely to it. Our culture contributes to it, right? Go, 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 climbing the ladder and, you know, 
know, life is supposed to be this way, you know, all those expectations put a lot of pressure. And I love that you bring it back to all this idea of, you know, those, those general steps, self-awareness, be aware, but then the invisible steps of getting honest with yourself and reclaiming your rights and reclaiming your rights to joy and happiness and even neutral feelings, right. That not like slowly move ourselves out of, you know, feelings of anger, frustration, you know, sadness and and that, and just to acknowledge them. So, and then make changes, right? Positive change. So we went through the steps, but we went kind of in a roundabout sort of way. And, you know, it's never, I think there's that expression where it's not A to B, one line. It's like, there's a whole squiggly line of how you get to your end result. Yes, and I yes. think we just did that today. So I know people are going to want to get a hold of you. Obviously, I will put all your links in the show notes so they can uh, get in contact with you. But if you just had one final thing to say to our listener, what would it be? Mm. If you can, after you listen to this, before you go on to the next thing that you wanted to do, or maybe you're already you know, in the car doing cleaning up, doing whatever while you're listening to this, just... See what it feels like to take a five second pause, a 10 second pause, maybe even a minute and just stretch out that period of time in between the, the A and the B um, and just be with whatever comes up when you afford yourself that space. It's not easy, but try. <laughs> Yay. Oh my gosh. I love that. Capturing that space. And, and I love your exercise of putting your hand on your heart and just hear and, and feel your own heart. And it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to be okay. Right. I remember mm -hmm. going outside and looking at the sky and putting my hand on my heart and thinking, Andrea, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's almost like I was trying to convince myself, but, and yeah. yeah and sometimes tears would come down, you know, it's like, yes, yeah, it will yes. be right. It will be. So I love that. Taking that pause. Um, and I, I cannot thank you enough for being here, Morgan. Thank you so much. And um, of course, I will connect everybody to your, your links and everything. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs.